Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I am your host, Katie Weber. My recent diagnosis of ADHD completely turned my world upside down, and now I'm interviewing other women who were diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and are finally feeling like, for the first time, they understand who they are and how they can best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. In this episode, I interview Crystal Diana Sopulu. Crystal is the creative director and founder of Lucid Fox, a web design and development agency that specializes in building custom sites for nonprofit organizations. Crystal grew up in the U.S. and now lives with her husband and their toddler in Athens, Greece. She was diagnosed with ADHD earlier this year after she started to notice a proliferation of ADHD-related memes online and recognized enough of herself in them that she sought a diagnosis with a psychiatrist in Athens. Crystal has so many great insights into this neurodivergent journey of ours, uh, so I hope you enjoy this conversation. But first, welcome, Crystal. Thank you so much for joining me. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you are my first international guest, uh, so I'm glad we could make this work. And I'm super excited to learn more about your business. But first of all, uh, why don't you tell me about when you first thought you might have ADHD and how long ago you were diagnosed and, and sort of what led up to your diagnosis? Yeah, um, so I actually only got diagnosed a couple months ago and really only started looking into it this year because I'm not sure what happened, but all of a sudden there was kind of like an explosion of ADHD memes, like all over social media. And I was reading them and I started thinking that actually sounds a lot like me, but I'm not ADHD. I was never hyperactive. So I totally dismissed it at first, but the more this kind of content like came across my feed and the more it was just put in front of my face, the more I realized maybe I should actually look into this seriously. So, um, I eventually found a psychiatrist here in Athens that, uh, is familiar with ADHD and speaks English and everything. And, um, and he gave me like a short test and, uh, basically was like, yeah, you, you definitely have ADHD inattentive, um, a touch of impulsive, but mostly inattentive, which is why I had um, no idea until now that, uh, that it was a thing because I think everyone thinks of ADHD as like the hyper little boy, which exactly. is, incidentally, that's my brother. He was diagnosed with ADHD as a, as a kid and they just totally glossed over me because I was quiet. Ah, I was going to say that's fascinating, not surprising, but fascinating that it wasn't even looked at. Yeah. Even if, even though there was somebody who was diagnosed in your family. Yeah, I was quiet and I behaved well, so they didn't really care, I guess, or there it just wasn't known or I, I don't know. I think as far as I know, it's a pretty new diagnosis and they're like still learning about it and everything. So I don't know. My brother was always getting into trouble and I was just like the quiet, perfect kid. So they'd never really paid attention that I was just daydreaming all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're not being disruptive, why, why, if it ain't broke, why fix it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
And so, um, yeah, I, you know, I, there has definitely been an uptick in, I, I call them pandemic diagnoses, especially I think among women and mothers. I know you have some little ones, right? Uh, I have one. I have a almost three-year-old uh, daughter. Yeah. So I, looking back when my children were in the newborn to toddler phase, I think I certainly, my symptoms certainly uh, escalated when with, because of lack of sleep and just the chaos of having little ones around. And so I'm not surprised that there's been such an uptick in diagnoses among women and mothers since the pandemic started. Yeah. And just, you know, the, the all routine has been thrown out the window and just, you know, with any kind of remote learning and social isolation and anxiety, like, it makes perfect sense to me looking back thinking like, we can't, you know, we can't ignore, we can't ignore the um, symptoms anymore in our own lives. And I think our, our typical hacks just weren't working anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, I think being a mother with ADHD, like especially with small children, uh, is it brings like a whole other dimension to why I didn't even consider it as a thing for me because everyone talks about how after you have a baby, your brain changes. So I just thought, okay, well, this is maybe all part of um, brain fog from being a mom. You know, they talk about mom brain and, uh, you know, lack of sleep and forgetfulness because before I had my daughter, I had a really great memory and then everything just got kind of really exacerbated and I had postpartum anxiety and depression and everything. And, um, looking back now, it turns out that a whole lot of what I was experiencing after I had my daughter was also like maybe just exacerbated, uh, ADHD symptoms that were untreated because I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, I had the exact same experience with both of my children. That was when I, after my first daughter was about a year old, I went to the doctor seeking help for postpartum depression. And I remember even back then thinking it didn't exhibit itself the way you often think about postpartum depression. I didn't feel despondent and I didn't feel, you know, like I had no, I didn't want to harm my child or myself, which are some Mm -hmm. of those common symptoms of postpartum depression. But one thing I had a lot of trouble with was emotional regulation. I would lash out. I would yell at my husband. You know, I felt like I would just go from zero to a hundred in terms of rage and felt really out of control in terms of my emotions. And, and, and so the, the meds certainly helped. I went on an SSRI and it was great and it was life-saving for all of us in my family. (laughs) And, and then the same thing happened again with my second child, but now looking back at it, I think, you know, it was it how much of this was postpartum and how much of it wasn't? Yeah. You know, I think how much of that was, I mean, it's, it's so difficult to untangle depression and anxiety from ADHD because so much of, I think our depression and anxiety comes from our ability or inability to manage our ADHD symptoms, especially if we're not diagnosed and we have no idea what's happening. Yeah. I completely agree. I mean, yeah, yeah. growing up, like I, I was never diagnosed as a kid, but, um, with, with anything, but looking back, I was absolutely depressed in middle school. I had a really tough middle school experience with lots of bullying and everything. 
And the bullying was on them, not on my behavior, but uh, how I dealt with it was maybe uh, maybe uh, aggravated because of, you know, the rejection-sensitive dysphoria, I think it's called. So I took everything a lot harder than, you know, other kids might have. And um, uh, I was very much like in a uh, de- depression for me is like a dark hole. It's like a, like a black hole almost that I just get sucked into and I can't find my way out of. And I was in that black hole a lot when I was in middle school and looking back, I'm like, well, if I had been diagnosed with ADHD a little earlier and was maybe, ha- or had some help to manage my symptoms, either with medication or therapy or something, uh, maybe, middle school and then high school and, you know, even college and going on through life wouldn't have been such a challenge just to like, just to do what everyone else seems to just float through, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think a huge component of emotional or sorry, of, um, RSD rejection sensitive dysphoria is rumination and, and taking our obsessive tendencies and kind of trying to focus on solving the problem or figuring out like who's to blame, you know? So I I think when there's difficulty with social relationships, if the other person's actions aren't making sense to you, you can kind of really focus on the fact that you are unable to solve this puzzle. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I understand why we tend to go down these dark holes, especially when it comes to interpersonal relationships and, and why there's so much self-blame in situations where we really have no control over how the other people are acting. And so if you translate that idea to a situ, you know, middle school bullying situation. Yeah. It's like, what, what must be wrong with me that I'm getting targeted this way and I can't handle it. Like no one else seems to be having these problems. It's just all me. And then, you know, it spirals downward from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one thing I love is that you mentioned on, on your website and also in our email correspondence that you built your first website at 11 and got paid yes. for it. So yes. Tell me about that. <laughs> that was actually around the same time. So that was in middle school. And um, I think since I didn't have a lot of close like personal relationships, I kind of threw myself into a bunch of different hobbies. Um, I, there was like reading a lot of science fiction and fantasy because my parents are huge nerds and they pass that on to me happily. Um, and, uh, uh, learning about different hobbies. I learned how to knit at that time. And I also learned how to build websites. Um, so what happened is that my, we had a family computer and just, just the one, because, you know, this was the very early days of the internet. We had dial up, um, So we all shared the same computer, even my dad, when he needed to do work stuff because he worked at an IT company. And there was one day that I needed the computer to do research for some kind of paper or book report or something for school. And he had been working on it to do some like professional development. He was learning PHP, which is a programming language uh, that is still used actually on the web. And he had an exercise book in front of him with like a tutorial and he had the computer up 
um, with the the program and, and trying to figure out the example. And he had gotten stuck. There was an error that kept popping up. And he had gotten frustrated and just left the computer as it was. So I come up to the computer and I see all this stuff. And I'm comparing, like, what's on here because I'm curious. You know, I think that's an ADHD thing, too. Forgot about my homework completely and fixed the error. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, of course, being 11, then I made the entire thing all about Pokemon. (laughs) So my dad came back, saw that I fixed it. He's like, how did you do that? I'm like, Dad, the error told you. Did you not read it? Um, so he, uh, he was really excited and proud of me. And, you know, he started teaching me a little bit about web development. So, um, I kind of took that and ran with it and, uh, built my own site. He helped me get a domain. It was a uh, pink elefante web design, um, because pink elephant was taken and I had like <laughs> a little stuffed pink elephant that, uh, that I loved, uh, And I actually, after I had like that website up, I had no portfolio and like almost no experience, but I didn't care because I thought this was fun. And I would actually go door to door at local businesses in my little town and say, hey, do you guys have a website? And I had like a script prepared for if they said yes and if they said no. So if they said yes, I would say, oh, okay, that's cool. Um, can I, do you have the domain anywhere? I'd love to check it out. They would give it to me on their business card or something. And I would say, okay, well, if you need help updating it, I just wanted to let you know, I do websites. I, um, I, uh, it's important to keep them up to date and everything. Here's my business card. You can call me. (laughs) This is a little 11 year old girl. Yeah. 11 year old girl, but everyone always told me I looked at least like 15 or something. So (laughs) Um, I think it was the way I presented myself because you don't really expect an 11 year old girl to march into your store and say something like that. Right. (laughs) So, um, if they said no, that they didn't have a website, then I would tell them, okay, well, you know, the web isn't just a trend. I think it's really here to stay. And people, uh, people are going to be looking for your business online. If you're not online, you could be losing a lot of customers or they could be uh, checking to see if you're a trustworthy business or checking for reviews and that sort of thing. So it's really important for you to have a website. By the way, I happen to build websites and since I'm a kid, I'll be cheap. So you should totally hire me to do this. (laughs) And, uh, two businesses actually did. One was a realtor and, um, the other one was a local Mexican restaurant. And it was, uh, those websites were up probably longer than they should have been. Uh, but, uh, but they paid me for it. And, um, then I got distracted by another hobby and didn't touch websites or web development again until like high school. That's a great story. I love it. (laughs) Thank you. It's a lot of fun. Looking back, I can't believe that I did that, though. I'm like, how did I have the guts to go around and cold call? But I think it's because I didn't know that there was, like, any kind of reason why that would be intimidating. I was just like, why not? Right? Well, I think we have such impulsivity, and and when we are interested in something, we go after it. Can you imagine if we actually stopped to think twice about whether we were qualified to do things? We'd never get anything done. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think that's definitely one of our strengths, is really just forging ahead with an exciting idea and not getting bogged down by overthinking mm-hmm. or, or getting bogged down with doubt. We usually experience that somewhere along the way. I know I usually hit yeah. a wall 
Um, but in terms of getting something started, that's fantastic. So what are some other things in your past where you look back and you think, oh my God, of course that was ADHD. Mostly it was school related things. Like uh, I never did homework growing up. It wasn't that I didn't know how to do it or that I didn't want to do it. I just couldn't get started. Like that task initiation is really hard for me even now. Once I started, it was fine. It was done in 10 minutes, but just actually doing it or remembering to turn it in if I had done it or remembering to give forms to my parents or something. I learned how to forge my mom's signature really early (laughs) so that, so that I wouldn't get in trouble with teachers. I did that too. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Um, And it was, I guess, so then like related to that, I guess it would be that I procrastinated a lot, but I didn't mean to. It's just that I, it's not that I didn't want to do the things that I needed to do. It was that I just couldn't. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, I, I remember trying to describe this to my husband, looking back at larger projects, especially in university as well, essays. You know, I had no problem taking notes and preparing for a larger project. But when it came to actually starting the finished product, mm-hmm. it's like I had no point of entry. I had a very difficult time getting that first step taken and um, figuring out, you know, I think there's something about the, with with executive function, the inability to prioritize. So there's this idea that, you know, you can't really uh, figure out what is the first step to get you to a, a goal because every right. step feels the equally important. Even, even if it's laid out for you, like, right. uh, I, I remember when I was doing like papers and stuff for, for high school or for college. And it would be like the, the teacher would say, start with the outline. And I would say, okay, well, how do you start an outline? Like you can't, I can't just write down introduction. I have to know what, what's going to be in it. I have to know everything that's going to be in it. And I can't do that unless it's done. So how do I start it? Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that's where a lot of procrastination ends up happening is the, um, the, you know, I, I often said, like, when I would procrastinate on writing something, often I'd be writing it kind of in my head all along. And then I needed the urgency of last minute, you know, cramming to get something actually out of my head and onto the paper. So it's like this Mm self-imposed deadlines that we need and that sense of urgency in order to get past the overthinking. Mm -hmm. And once I sort of realized that that's how, that's why I was procrastinating. I mean, this obviously doesn't apply to things like housekeeping or other boring tasks (laughs) that I just avoid (laughs) because they're boring. But when it came to actually like getting work done, I think a lot of the procrastination kind of makes sense to me now and I can break it down and think like, oh, everything kind of had its purpose. Right. But it's hard to tell like your professors that when they're like, when they ask you, okay, what do you have to show for your work? Right. (laughs) Yes, that's true. Yeah. Well, it's just, you know, it's all in in my brain. Don't you do that? Doesn't everyone do that? (laughs) Right. This isn't normal. What are you talking about? So did you do well in school? I mean, what were your grades like? Um, it was very, um, it, I was kind of all over the map, which confused my teachers and professors a lot uh, because it really depended on the class structure. If it was a class that weighted heavily uh, homework and things that I had to be like self-initiated, then my grades were abysmal. 
I ended up having to take English my junior year twice because I failed it the first time, um, my junior year of high school. Mm -hmm. And, uh, if it was a class that was more weighted on in-class discussions or tests or things where you really show that you have the knowledge, but it doesn't rely on you doing too much at home, I had really good grades. And my teachers just couldn't figure me out. So it was kind of a struggle. I actually never graduated from college. Uh, I've dropped out three times now. Mm -hmm. from from college for three completely different majors. <laughs> and uh, I'd like to go back and finish it eventually. And I think that now that I understand a little bit more about how my brain works, I might be able to. But I, uh, I have maybe altogether about two years worth of college credits. So I need another two years to full time in order to finish. And it's mm. a lot more when you have like work and kids and uh, uh, adult responsibilities. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I often think I would love to go back and, and redo my university just because I feel like I would be so much better at it. I just really like flubbed my way through all of it. And I think I would, you know, often think I would like to go back and do it. But then of course, you know, there's, it's, Everything, you know, if I'm seeking out a certification or a, um, you know, more short-term degree in something, it, it's usually there's a means to the end or, you know, it has mm -hmm. a purpose. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of us struggled when, if we were in the humanities or in the more sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like more obtuse subjects in university as opposed to. You know, like the more abstract getting, ones. Yes. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to getting, you know, a real like uh, a purposeful degree that's going to help me get from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I first started in college trying to be an architect. Then halfway through my freshman year, I switched to vocal performance and I stuck with that the rest of that year and my first semester of my sophomore year. But halfway through that, around Thanksgiving, I completely burned out uh, because I was also having to work full time uh, overnight at a hotel in order to pay for college. And uh, I didn't have any help from um, my parents or anything because it, it's complicated. My parents were recently divorced and there was uh, complications with the FAFSA. I couldn't file independently because you can't do that until you're 24, even if you're not getting any like financial assistance from your parents. So I, I was working full time and then I would basically be at the hotel working from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., go to class at 8 a.m. until like 3 p.m., struggle to do a little bit of homework between 3 and 4 pass out and then wake up again at 10 to do it all over again. So by November, I was completely, you know, midterms were coming up and I was completely burned out. So I just dropped out. That was the first time. And I moved to Colorado and just started working. Isn't it amazing to look back at those life choices now with this new lens? Yeah. I feel like I want to go back and give that girl a hug. Definitely. Me too. I think actually when I was diagnosed uh, or really started understanding 
what it meant to be diagnosed with ADHD, I actually kind of went through a grieving process. Yeah. Like it was the full on six stages of grief of like questioning, like, why, why me? Why, why, why am I having to go through this? And like other people just get to coast through life. It it seems like, you know, from our, from our perspective. And then like anger, like my life could have been so much different if I had known about this earlier. Um, it, it, it's, you know, I, I went through all of the stages of, of just trying to accept and understand that this is just how my life was. And it, 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 I can't change it now, but I can change it going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I totally relate to that feeling of grief, wondering how, how my life would have been different at the same time, really appreciating all of the, you know, uh, amazing, um, uh, the amazing attributes for of ADHD, and and really kind of seeing with clarity, kind of okay, how it has helped me. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of grief looking back, and I think even with you know my husband and I talk about seeking a diagnosis for my son who is nine, and he is nervous. He he worries about the stigma of a diagnosis. And, you know, I'm always trying to explain to him, like, can you like, gosh, I spent so long thinking there was something wrong with me and having no idea what it was and just feeling so misunderstood by everyone around me and even myself. And like, can you imagine if you sort of could label it and, and find solutions within that, within that paradigm? how, how positive that would be (laughs) as opposed to always thinking you're just, you know, a failure all the time, which is what I see my son doing sometimes when he is Mm -hmm. struggling in school, his default is, oh my God, I'm terrible. I'm, I, I, you know, I need to, you know, I need to just walk away from all of this because I can't do it. And so it's, it's interesting, the perspectives and seeing how many parents or just, I guess, society in general see this as, a stigma and, you know, and, and, and see this as such a negative thing. Right. I mean, I was, I was talking to someone, um, actually yesterday and, uh, I was mentioning some things that I had read about him and, uh, uh, was trying to remember the names of people that he had mentioned and I couldn't, but I was able to describe around them. And I said, I'm sorry, I, I have trouble remembering names. And, um, he, uh, which I understand now is part of having ADHD, but for a long time I didn't. And yesterday he, the, the, this, uh, this guy was telling me, oh, it's okay. It just means that they don't matter to you. And I said, no, that's not it at all. It means that I have ADHD and my brain works differently than yours does. And, um, and that's just how it is. It doesn't signify the importance of someone to me. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of made him stop in his tracks and, I don't know what he thinks of me now, but, uh, but I hate that there is some kind of stigma about a diagnosis because it doesn't change who you are. It doesn't even change like really what your behavior is or how your brain works. It just allows you to give it a name. And I think that that's freeing for me, at least it's kind of freeing to be able to know what it is and why why I act sometimes in a certain way or why I can remember some things and not others. And it provides also a framework to, to seek out tools and ways to, to manage these things. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's important and goes back to 
what that gentleman was saying in terms of, you know, there seems to be this idea that, well, if you really wanted to do it, you would figure out a way and, and, and feeling like I've spent my whole life really (laughs) wanting to do things and not being able to figure out a way. And now with this new knowledge and this new insight, you know, you are able to like seek the tools that are needed Mm-hmm. And it's not that you don't want to do something or that you don't care at all. You just haven't kind of figured out what are the best hacks. Mm-hmm. And I think it allows us to, to, to defend ourselves too in these situations to say, no, it's not a character flaw. It's not me um, not caring. It's not a lack of empathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a similar experience with a friend of mine who I went for a walk with her yesterday and I hadn't seen her in ages. And you know, we both really like each other, but I was explaining how, you know, one thing that has been, you know, different for me with, um, this diagnosis is realizing with my friendships, you know, that I have that object permanence issue of, you know, if you're not, if you're not right in front of me, I tend to be very bad about checking in on you and thinking about you. See, I'm even, I'm even talking about it in a negative way, you know, but I'm not the kind of person who remembers to check in on people and, and communicate with people. And I often feel like I'm a terrible friend as a result. Oh my gosh. I identify with that. Right. Yeah. And so I, I think it's very common, you know, we have that, we're really sort of focused on the what is in front of us? What is immediate? And we, you know, and I said, it's not that I don't absolutely adore or love these friends. I just, you know, you just get really sort of preoccupied in the moment. And, and she was lovely. She, she was like, well, I'm so glad to know that because it will, it will make me check in on you more. And, you know, and she said, admitted that, you know, I, she felt like maybe she didn't mean as much to me as I meant to her and that she sort of felt like I was standoffish or a little intimidating. And I think that's pretty common, you know, with, in, in terms of our, in, in terms of uh, the relationships that we have, especially with other Mm -hmm. women. But I, it was such a positive moment because I had said something that was really vulnerable and she was like, I'm so glad I now know that that is an issue for you. And so I will check in on you. I mean, how many, I don't know if you ever had this. I've had this happen to me so many times throughout my life where a friend will get angry at me because they texted me five times (laughs) and I never once have texted them, you know, like initiated it. Yeah, exactly. And then they get angry with me and then I feel bad. So I basically sort of recoil and then the friendship is over. Any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids 6 through 18. With Go Henry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their GoHenry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at GoHenry.com slash WomenADHD. Again, that's GoHenry.com slash WomenADHD. TNCs apply, renews from $4.99 per month unless canceled. Yeah, I honestly, I haven't had the opportunity to have a friendship reach that point for the most part. 
because growing up, we moved around a lot. Mm. And I actually went to 18 different schools between kindergarten and my senior year of high school. So oh, wow. Okay. object permanence meant that I have no idea where these schools are, like who my teachers were, who my classmates were, some people that I was very close with. And I don't remember any of them. I, I, I mean, I have like these great big empty spots in my memory because I spent so little time in each place that it's just, it wasn't long enough for it to, to get into my um, long-term memory, I guess. So for a long time, I really struggled with forming more meaningful relationships with people just because I had never really had a chance to do it. And then of course, because we moved around so much, as soon as there was any conflict, we would move again. So I never really learned any tools to, or uh, techniques to manage conflict in relationships or drama, you know, in friend groups, because I never really had to deal with it. We were never around long enough. So when I started having friendships and relationships as an adult, my first instinct when there was any conflict was to just completely back away out of the, out of the friendship, out of the relationship. And, um, if I could, I moved. (laughs) So, um, it took a long time for me to realize maybe that's not the right way to deal with things and to really work things through and everything. I don't know how much of that is a factor of my childhood and how much of that is a factor of being ADHD, um, as far as the conflict avoidance, but it's something that's, really shaped how I deal with people now and how I form relationships with, um, with friends. Wow. I'm still trying to get over 18 schools, (laughs) especially think, you know, I struggled so much from middle school and high school. Um, and I felt like I was very preoccupied with social relationships in, during that time and not, preoccupied with, you know, academics at all. Um, so I can, I'm sure that must've been a struggle. I didn't know any other way to live. Like I, I, I didn't have any, that was my normal. So, so I, I can't imagine living in one place long enough that you go to the same elementary, middle school and high school that, that completely blows my mind because I ask people who do that, didn't you get bored? <laughs> Mm, uh-huh. Isn't that boring? Staying in the same place all the time. So it's just a that that aspect is just a different um perspective, I guess. And how did you meet your husband and and where did I guess I can't really ask where did you grow up? <laughs> I'm assuming you grew up in the US. So how yeah. did you meet your husband and end up in living in Greece? So um in 2015 I at the beginning of 2015, I broke up with, uh, with my boyfriend at the time. It was a really toxic relationship that I was happy to get out of. And, um, I was working at a marketing company that had recently introduced rules that let us work from home whenever we want. And so I, um, kind of got a crazy idea as a lot of us ADHDers do and brought it to the company HR department and said, well, if you'll let us work from home whenever we want, 
what really is the difference of working from home here in Indiana versus working from an Airbnb somewhere in Europe as long as I'm online at the same time? And they kind of took a long time to get back to me, but since they had put that policy in place, they couldn't really argue it. (laughs) And so I ended up that summer spending three months essentially as a digital nomad, um, going to a new city or country every three to five days. Uh, I had rented out my apartment at home, so I ended up spending less on flights and uh, Airbnb and, you know, eating out all the time than I would have on rent in Indiana. And it was an amazing experience. So while I was there, I went to a couple of work conferences um, related to tech or related to UX, which is um, user experience uh, and my professional background now. Um, So there was one conference in Prague that I went to in May. And after the conference every day, people would kind of gather in the hotel lobby and talk and drink and uh, apparently everyone in this who attended this conference was pretty musically inclined. So a couple people brought down guitars and there was like singing and playing guitar and everything. And it was a lot of fun. And one of the guys who was playing guitar, um, I ended up sitting next to him and we started talking a little bit and, uh, I didn't really pay him any more attention than anyone else, but, the way he tells it is that he fell in love with me absolutely immediately, like the moment he laid his eyes on me. So, you know, I moved on from Prague and I went to a different city and kept traveling and everything. But while I was in Europe, we were messaging back and forth a lot. We connected on Facebook. And uh, later that year, there was a, uh, there was another conference that I was going to in Chicago because I was back home in Indiana. Chicago was a little bit closer. <laughs> So I went there and he came up with an excuse to fly all the way to Chicago from Greece uh, just so that he could see me in person again. And we ended up spending a week together in Chicago and um, basically fell in love. And uh, uh, we ended up flying back and forth between Indiana and Greece a few more times that year. And he spent Thanksgiving with me and my family that year. And the weekend after Thanksgiving... Um, he proposed kind of on accident, but he did it. So I said, yes. (laughs) And we got married the the next year. So it was kind of whirlwind really, but you know, it's been four years ish since we got married and, uh, uh, I'm in Greece now. It's it's nice here. Sunny. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. Thank you. And so tell me about the name Lucid Fox, which is the name of your business. It's such an awesome name. Where did it come from? I love your website. I love your logo, especially. It's beautiful. So tell me about the origins of Lucid Fox. So I was trying to come up with a business name in 2014. Um, Originally, I thought I was going to do some kind of digital or business consulting for, for women who wanted to start their own business. And, um, so I was really trying to come up with something that, that would 
be a flexible name. So I, I didn't want to box myself in too much because I knew myself at that point. I didn't know that it was ADHD, but I knew that I liked to do a lot of different things. Uh-huh. And if I, if I wanted to change my business, I didn't want to have to change the name and the branding and everything. Good thing because I changed it like three times. You know, I was actually speak when I in one of my other interviews, I was talking with a woman about the her, the name of her business, and we had the same. She had the same realization, you know. And we said, "This is great advice for ADHD entrepreneurs it's because we pivot so often <laughs> that it's really important to find a name that will pivot with you." Yeah, well, <laughs> it's funny how um, how so many of us seem to have had the same thought and intuitively come come up with these workarounds Mm -hmm. before we even knew what what was causing it yeah absolutely but um yeah I thought uh first I thought of fox because I really um I really love foxes I I identify with them strongly and I actually have a tattoo of a fox because the characteristics of the animal are things that I want to remember that I have too, and um, that I need to remember to be true to myself in that. So like foxes are clever. Um, they're a little bit of a trickster and I, um, I absolutely identify with that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, they, they, uh, they're very quick thinking and agile and, um, it's all kind of characteristics that I, I identified with strongly. So I've had that tattoo since I was 18 and it, um, has never, uh, steered me wrong. So I knew that I wanted Fox as part of the name. And then, um, I was thinking about it and, you know, even now there's all these companies that have pick a color, pick an animal kind of names. So I didn't want to do a color because that was sounded like it would be too trendy and maybe not be relevant still in a few years. And I also wanted to um, uh, make sure that the domain was available and a lot of these names with Fox in it weren't available at that time. So I started thinking about characteristics and I wanted to, as part of my business at that time, I wanted to provide clarity for my clients. That also kind of ties back to my name, Crystal, because Crystal's also supposed to uh, provide clarity. It means clear. I get the crystal clear joke all the time, and it uh, got old a long time ago. Uh, So I kind of decided to to own that joke through the um, through the name. So I decided I was looking at synonyms of um, clear and clarity and all of that, and I came up with lucid. I love that. It just sounded so um, so good together. And it also kind of, um, harkens back to lucid dreaming where you're in control, even though it's a dream and everything. So, uh, uh, it just, it just felt very, very right. So I went with it. And it's a nice nod to (laughs) hyperfocus. Yeah, I know that now. (laughs) So what does, so tell me a bit, a little bit about Lucid Fox. What do you do? What clients do you work with? Um, so now I work with nonprofit organizations. I build custom websites for them, um, but I have a very uh, a very involved research phase as part of that 
web design process, which is what's different from most other web design companies. Since I have a background as a user experience designer, um, I do pretty involved user research at the beginning and it really makes a difference uh, in the end results because I, I involve their audience, their donors and their constituents and their clients in the decision-making process. So people are less likely to um, protest a change when the website gets launched. And also it's more likely to work better for them because I've uh, used their feedback as a, a guiding light instead of um, often stakeholder assumptions in how uh, of how the website should function and look. Now, I love that you have a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant on your team. Is is that standard for working in the nonprofit sector, or are you just like super progressive and awesome? Um, I wish it was standard. I think for some organizations it might be standard, but uh, I've actually gotten some uh, resistance to involving her on some projects with clients. So I, I have to be like, no, this is absolutely a part of the process if you want to work with me. Um, so I guess it would be that I am super progressive. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, well, if, if you said it, not me. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's a huge positive and, and definitely love that that is worked into the fabric of website creation for sure. Thank you. It's really important to me. I believe very strongly in building websites that are ethical. And that includes a lot of things. That includes making sure that the websites I build are accessible, which means that people who have to use screen readers or other assistive devices are able to use the website as seamlessly as anyone else. Um, I believe in making sure the websites are privacy oriented, which means that I don't think we should collect any data that we don't need. I don't like including things like Google Analytics or Hotjar, which um, tracks mouse movements uh, on the screen or even just takes full videos of people interacting with your website, because most of the time people don't know that those are tracking their movements. And um I don't think that's ethical to, to be tracking people without their consent. Uh, I believe that the websites I build should be inclusive, which is why I have Lakeshi on my team. Um, because especially with nonprofits, you'll often find a nonprofit run by a bunch of white people who are serving um, a, a community that's full of people of color. And um that's not necessarily a good thing because they might be doing this without any feedback from the community that they're serving. And they don't even think about it because a lot of white people don't think about these things. So I, I kind of bring it to their mind and also make sure that the websites reflect those values too, so that the imagery that, uh, that is used is diverse and inclusive um, the language on the website doesn't unintentionally exclude anyone, and so on and so forth. Um, and I started working with nonprofits specifically because I um, find these values to be so important to me that I feel really bad if I'm working on projects that don't align with them. 
prior to really going full-time with LucidFox, I was subcontracting for marketing companies. And a lot of the projects that they would put me on as a developer or as a designer, uh, I would be uncomfortable with. And I would say, you know, the, the design on this isn't accessible. We, we, you should probably like reconsider the contrast or, um, it doesn't really make sense, or you're kind of asking me to implement a dark pattern here that's manipulating the user's behavior. And they would say, oh, we don't really care about accessibility. They're not likely to use our site anyway. Or, you know, that, that's, uh, that's a decision that's already been made, or we don't have the additional budget and everything. And I felt really bad about myself. And um, I think that it's my responsibility as someone who's building websites, which people are on every day. And um, I think the web is really such a force in people's lives now that what's on the web can influence our culture. So as someone who's building things on the web, it's my responsibility to make sure to influence it in a positive way. Absolutely. I mean, if anything, the last four years in America has proven <laughs> all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Not to name names, but... Uh, <clears throat> <laughs> I must have been fascinating watching this country uh, over, the, over, over the course of 2020 from afar. Uh, more despairing. I mean, I have family there. I'm kind of worried about everyone. Mm, it's, yeah. it's kind of... Well, it's a more positive 2021. So oh, fingers crossed that the future is a little brighter. I meant to ask earlier, are you on any kind of medication? Have you chosen to take the meds route? So I was starting medication and I tried Stratera for a couple months, but I'm actually in the process of weaning off of it right now. So if I've gone off on uh, tangents, that's why. <laughs> um, it worked a little bit, but... I found that it made me not myself. I'm like a very optimistic, positive person. And I was finding myself being very irritable and snappy and pessimistic all the time. And that's, uh, that's not who I am. So, so we're going to try something else. I don't know what yet, but we'll see. And when you say it worked, what did you find it helped with? Cause I'm, I'm fascinated when so many people talk about how life-changing medication is, you know, I'm like, what is it that is help, you know, has helped you or not helped you? It, um, it helped me initiate tasks. Like I wouldn't, you, you mentioned earlier how we often ruminate things that we have to do in our heads for a long time before actually sitting down to do them. Mm -hmm. Um, I noticed that I stopped doing that and I would just sit down and do something. So it helped with the executive dysfunction part of everything. But it didn't help me, uh, I, I call it my get up and go. It didn't give me any get up and go. I had to drink an obscene amount of coffee every day <laughs> to, uh, to actually get up and get the day started. And once I started, then I was able to, you know, be very productive, but, um, in a kind of a flat way, I wasn't myself anymore. Uh, and then it would wear off in the evening and, I would be really irritated and um, bedtime with my toddler was extremely difficult because all of the patients that I had previously had was just gone. Um, and it was, 
it's not how I want to live my life. So even though it helped me do things and be more productive, I would rather, it wasn't worth the trade-off for me. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But hopefully, um, hopefully whatever I go on next will help more. Um, my appointment is next week. So fingers crossed. Oh, okay. I know it's, it's dizzying the amount of different medications out there and how, Mm -hmm. how specific they are to different people's makeup and, and their needs. Yeah, absolutely. Things are, um, most medications for ADHD are very tightly controlled in Greece too. So, yeah. So he, he, my doctor is reluctant to prescribe some things that might help, but, um, different country, different regulations. It's an ongoing discussion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And now over the past few months, since, since your realization, your diagnosis, what have been some of your favorite ADHD resources or have there been any podcasts or any self-help books or uh, what have, where, how has your ADHD deep dive manifested? Um, Mostly just, a lot of Googling. I wouldn't say that I have been faithful to any specific website, but, um, I found a lot of help in Facebook groups. I joined a lot of ADHD Facebook groups, especially ones for moms who are entrepreneurs. And, uh, I found it very helpful to connect with other women who are going through the same thing as me and mostly to stalk the other posts in the group and, and really, um, understand that I am not alone in this kind of experience. I wish that I, uh, uh, was able to have the patience to sit down and read books and, um, podcasts (laughs) (laughs) or listen to podcasts faithfully. But I, I used to be able to, but now with, uh, with a toddler and two cats, there's just not enough time in the day. Uh, in sequence to be able to do that. Cause I'd have to hyper-focus on it and I, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> oh, I know. I, I certainly remember those days. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've been, I love podcasting just because it's always kind of in the background when I'm doing other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, when I first started really researching ADHD, I didn't have the patience for a book because I just, you know, I, th- I felt like I wanted really fast snippets everywhere. And I totally mm-hmm. agree that need for the community and being seen. And, you know, so many of the posts that start with, is it just me or dot, 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 <laughs> you know, really yeah. feeling validated is so important to mm-hmm. our journey because we felt so misunderstood for so long. Uh, so I finally downloaded the audiobook Driven to Distraction by Ned Hallowell. Mm-hmm. and because it had been just recommended by so many people and I'm having such a hard time listening to it because he talks so much about uh, symptoms and characteristics of ADHD that will then send me thinking about all of the different ways in which it relates to my life <laughs> and I realize I haven't been listening to him and I'm I'm constantly rewinding and rewinding and I'm like this is uh, the irony is not lost on me right now that's the struggle for me with like physical books. Um, even oh, since yeah. I was a kid, like I would be reading a book and then one sentence in the book would start me thinking about something. And I'm like five pages later and I realize I have no idea what I just read. Uh, my, my eyes just keep reading, but my brain is long gone. Oh, absolutely. I think that's very, 
common, if not universal among us, <laughs> having <that> rereading <laughs> paragraphs and pages over and over and over again. Yeah, definitely. Wonderful. Well, it has been so great connecting with you and learning more about your background and your business. And it sounds like you've got, uh, it's a beautiful, oh, so let's, uh, I forgot, tell me um, or tell our listeners where they can find you, where you are online and how they can, how they can reach out to you to work with you. Sure. Um, My website is lucid-fox.com. That hyphen in there is very important. Um, And they can reach out to me through the website. There's a contact page there. That's probably the easiest way. Otherwise, um, I'm just going to go ahead and say that's the easiest way because my handles across other social media are a little bit complicated to spell out. So uh, (laughs) something about my last name. Uh, (laughs) So... um, that would be the easiest way. There's a uh, links in my footer also for the, um, business profiles, uh, I have on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram too, if they would prefer to reach out over social media. Great. Fantastic. Well, thank you again for taking the time to chat with me about your life and your diagnosis. It's been really interesting. Thank you for having me. It's been a, this is my first podcast interview, so um, I've really enjoyed it. There you have it. So thank you so much for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. If you like this podcast, I would really appreciate some feedback. So please leave me a review or simply head on over to Apple Podcasts and give me five stars. Also, please subscribe and make sure to share it to help us reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower. And they may be struggling and they don't even know why. If you are a woman who was recently diagnosed with ADHD and would like to be interviewed as a guest, I would love to interview you. So please reach out to me. My email is womenandadhdpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find out all the show notes from this episode at womenandadhd.com slash episodes. And you can follow this podcast on Instagram at womenandadhd. You can also find out more about me and my anti-diet health coaching program at worthitwithkatykaty.com. Make sure to sign up for your free copy of my Thank You Body Technique. This simple primer teaches you how to reset your mood and improve your relationship with your body quickly and easily through breathing, yoga, and even aromatherapy. Okay, I will see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then.